We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Wendy Steele, founder and CEO of Impact 100, a global nonprofit organization dedicated to uniting and empowering women to create a transformational impact in their communities. Wendy is a TEDx speaker, author of Invitation to Impact, Lighting the Path to Community Transformation, recently released, and a thought leader on generosity and philanthropy. What I appreciate most about you, Wendy, is your creativity and the impact that you have, your commitment to generosity in real, tangible, and essential ways. Welcome to ROG, Wendy. Oh my gosh, Shannon. I am so excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't wait to continue this conversation. Me too. So I know we could talk about generosity for the duration of this week and next week and still not exhaust the topic. So I would just love to get your thoughts right off the cuff on what is generosity to you? How do you define it? What is it? Generosity to me is giving your time, talent, or treasure without an expectation of getting anything in return. So giving that has to be wholehearted as opposed to transactional, like I give so I get, or I give to look good. That's not authentic generosity. Awesome. So when you hear return on generosity, you might first have like a negative reaction, like, you know, I want something back, but you understand it the way I do. So tell me your interpretation or your perception of return on generosity. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that people don't understand is that when we are authentically generous, we get back more than we could ever give. It creates this cycle that it's part biological, like we actually have oxytocin that gets produced in our body and that can squash cortisol, which is a stress hormone. So like there are authentic and physical feel good things that come from being generous. But the return on generosity is also that generosity is contagious. So when we give and other people know about it, they get a little dose of oxytocin and then they're like, I I want what she has. I want to do what she did, they give. And as we give, the world gets better. And as the world gets better, we give more. And I liken it to a spiral shell where it just starts from a little kernel of something good. And then it grows and it grows and it grows on into infinity when we really mobilize people to just give what they have, where they are, without worry or concern that they can afford to or it's the right time. It really does Mm. make the world a better place. So I love the idea of return on generosity. Yes. Thank you, Wendy. And I so agree that it is a underappreciated or realized superpower, really. You know, it's like gratitude where... You know, of course, we understand it conceptually, but until you practice 
gratitude and you do it in a meaningful, mindful way, you don't really get the benefit of like how it can transform your reality and make you feel better, but also make you more resourceful toward, you know, finding ways to make a contribution to other people. And when you were talking about that, I was also thinking about the generosity to self, Mm -hmm. because sometimes like that ripple effect that you talk about or the way that that shell just evolves into infinity. Um, Talk to me about generosity to ourselves. Well, you know, I could answer that in two different ways. The way I think you're heading toward is being kind to ourselves, like generosity where we forgive ourselves and we give ourselves the same grace that we quickly will give another, even a stranger. Sometimes we are more generous with in our forgiveness, in our understanding, and in our sort of brushing off and forgetting about any of the foibles that they may have made. Yet when we're the ones having the mistake, you know, having a situation that we're not proud of or that we feel like we kind of blew it in that encounter or we weren't our best selves, we tend to like replay that again and again and be like, gosh, how can I do that? We would never treat somebody else like this. And so being generous to ourselves... I think it takes practice. I think it takes intentionality. But first, it takes the realization that we're not generous to ourselves. And honestly, for a lot of sort of people who would call themselves generous, and I count myself in there, it's harder to be generous to ourselves somehow. Somehow it feels self-centered. And yet Mm -hmm. we know that if we aren't generous to ourselves, we can't be authentically generous to most anybody else. So it's vital. It's overlooked. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm sure you navigate that better than I do, but it's uh, it's a thing. What a beautiful answer. What's the other way that you could look at that when I, when I asked about the <laughs> generosity to self? Well, the other way is that Sometimes when I am really stressed, I'm under a deadline or, you know, I'm stuck in traffic and I'm afraid I'm going to be late or something happens. If I can intentionally shift my attention away from what's causing me stress and either do something generous for someone, you're in traffic, you're late, and you let another car come in in front of you from the entrance ramp to the highway. Like somebody cuts you off instead of being angry and, you know, imagining every worst case scenario for that car load. Instead, mm-hmm. you sort of make up a story in your head like they're getting home to their puppy. You know, they're trying to make it to a surprise birthday party. They have something really important they have to go to. And when we allow ourselves to be generous in the heat of tension and stress and things that seem to be going wrong, it does help you biologically for those reasons because cortisol and oxytocin can't coexist in our bodies, which means the more stressed we are, the less likely we are to be generous. But the reverse is true. If we are feeling really authentically generous toward others, toward ourselves, then the cortisol doesn't have a chance to grow because the oxytocin sort of blocks it out. Either way, generosity can Mm. affect us on the inside 
as well as it affects others on the outside. Oh my gosh, so great and counterintuitive, right? Because you think if I'm late, right. I should be first, right? I need to, like, we're going to pushing people out of the way. But you're saying, no, 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 that's a great opportunity to have the discipline of maintaining generosity, trusting that it's always going to serve you, always going to serve. Like, when was the last time you saw a generous person who was miserable? Like you just haven't seen it, right? Because like it is the source of joy. I deeply believe that, right? Because happiness is something that I think is more like an external thing. Like I would be happy if somebody brought me a cup of coffee right now, right? It's just like an external, like temporary thing. But joy is something so much deeper than that. And I think that generosity is like the ticket to get there. I agree completely. I also think about in in the example of being late to a meeting, does your best self show up if you've been <laughs> stuck in traffic? Like how many times has have either I done it myself? Uh, I, it's been a minute because I'm pretty disciplined in this. Or someone else is late to a meeting or late to, you know, a, a conversation. And they're so frazzled when they get there because they've been stressed for their whole drive. They don't arrive with their best self. They arrive, you know, scattered and agitated and apologetic, yet sort of still angry and tense, (laughs) as opposed to kind of letting go and saying, you know, I've got someplace really important to be. I'm sure these people do too. Like we're just in this together. Mm -hmm. Let's turn it into something better. In those cases, you'll arrive probably at the same time as you would have if you had tried to go first and cut everybody off. But you'll arrive with this sense of peace and joy. I love Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, you will arrive with a sense of joy that people will be able to feel. Mm -hmm. and. Everybody will, it'll just be a smoother transition. If you're going to be late anyway, let's be late without being disruptive. Let's be late (laughs) while adding to the value of the group and not diminishing it or sidetracking it as you retell all your frustrations about, you know, road construction and traffic. That's the other thing is that that quality time that you now... We're so anxious to get to. You're <laughs> kind of wasting by ruminating and complaining or trying to, I guess, get some empathy for <laughs> right. you know why you were late, uh, which which we could just be in a better state of grace and confidence and happiness and joy if we could have this discipline. So I'm curious to get your your best practices here. What do you do or how do you stay present and generous when you're in the thick of things? It has to be intentional because it doesn't come naturally. You know, I think natural instinct is to feel a certain way. But so much of that is predicated on how you practice your life prior to that traffic jam, prior to that very stressful situation. And so if you have cultivated this sense of peace and this sense of generosity, it is natural then for you to pull that tool out of your toolbox when you're in a moment of high stress, whatever that looks like, things in this life will go wrong. Things will, you know, there will be technical glitches. There will be traffic jams. You will forget things, you know, things happen, but it's how we deal with it that makes the difference. And Mm -hmm. 
it's like you wouldn't wake up tomorrow. I don't know, Shannon, we haven't talked about this, but I, I'm going to guess you're going to agree with me on this statement. If you were going to wake up tomorrow and run a marathon, you will have trained for it. And I believe that generosity, like empathy and compassion, gratitude that are all kind of related in a bundle, it is like a muscle that the more we work it, the better it gets, the stronger it gets, and the more muscle memory we have so that I might not be able to handle a big tense setback if I wasn't really tuned in to how to work that generosity muscle. My generosity muscle is strong now. So, you know, knock on wood, I hope, I believe that I have challenged myself enough so when I'm in a tense situation, I can overcome it and mm. I can find peace. But I think it's it requires some training. It's not going to be something that you're going to decide to do today and tomorrow I have an opportunity to use it and be right. glorious. But right. <laughs> you, you'll you be a little better than you would have been otherwise. And then yeah. every time after that, you'll be a little better. The other strategy I use is I used to make up stories to tell my kids. And I used to have a really good friend. She and I would travel together. And um, we would talk about making scenarios. You know, we'd be somewhere and we'd see someone walk by and we'd be like, okay, you know, he's a prince. She's a princess. They did this and that. We would make up scenarios to see who could be the most outlandish, but still relatable to whoever it was we were looking at. Mm -hmm. That exercise works super well in traffic. Or we are at the grocery store and somebody brings 27 items to the 10 items or less lane. And, you know, it's, you just have this ability to make up the story that makes them look good, not bad, makes you feel good, maybe even chuckle and just diffuse the situation. Yes. I love that strategy so much because I think the stories that you're talking about that are more imaginative are equally as untrue as your first interpretation of the thing that happened or your negative story. So I think it just reminds us that like really what actually happened are the facts. Like, you know, it's 3.30, I'm in uh, this particular checkout line, this person walked up with 27 items, you know, like those things actually happen, but like what we make that mean is totally something else. And I think what you're calling on here is our ability to be creative, innovative, generous, right? Storytellers, because we're telling stories anyway. I just think it's like, (laughs) tell a story worth telling, right? (laughs) Exactly. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Interpretation is is where really where it comes down to. So you were talking about the health benefits of generosity, and I know you and I are totally, um, you know, we're, we study this and we we live it and get, get totally excited when we find scientific data that backs up our hunches. So talk to me about some of the things that you've learned around the science of generosity. You know, I am an avid reader and. Primarily, I read sort of inspirational kind of self-help books. A book that put it in clear perspective and any of your listeners, and if you haven't read this, you will love it. Um, But it's not a book on generosity. It's Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last. Yeah. And 
he goes through to describe sort of what leadership looks like. And in it, of course, because it's Simon Sinek, he talks about, you know, workplace environment and cultivating this, this sense of trust. Oxytocin is the hormone that is generated when we deliver a baby, when we shake hands or hug, so physical touch. Um, and that hormone, because it's sort of nicknames the love and trust hormone, that's what comes out when we are generous. And the cool thing about it is that we don't even have to be the one doing the generous act in order to get the blast mm. of oxytocin. You can watch a feel-good movie. You can you can read about an interaction that someone did. And you know, you may or may not feel that this um, hormone's being produced, but what you will feel is this sense of, oh, that's cool. I could do that. Like mm. because our body needs oxytocin. It wants oxytocin. And so when something happens to trigger a little bit of oxytocin in your system, your body will encourage you to do more. And that's, it's part of the spiral that I talked about, but more than anything, if you look at the reverse of, of generosity, if you look at the, if you look at the reverse of oxytocin, which is cortisol, and you say, Please don't go on WebMD, but if you're going to go on WebMD, like 99% of every bad thing that you, every symptom you have, every bad thing that comes into your life, it will often list this contributing factor of stress. We are people under stress. And honestly, it doesn't matter if you're a little kid or if you're a great, great, great grandparent, we all have stress in our lives, a lot of which we cannot control. And that generation of oxytocin, or sorry, cortisol, and having it stay in your system for such a long time, mm-hmm. it absolutely can affect your health in a negative way. It can also affect the quality of your life, wringing your hands and being worried about a problem, you know, all the stresses. When we figure out the relationship between those two things and we're able to take actionable steps. We're not only advocating for our own health, but we're also advocating for a better world. I mean, it's generosity is one of those things that chemically, scientifically, as well as in the sort of feel good, well-being, wellness, or even woo-woo sense of the word, really does make our lives better. And the fact that there's scientific data to back it up is to me icing on the cake, but it's thick icing because a lot of people wouldn't necessarily participate if they didn't know it was science-backed. So it's it's like- True. Yeah, it's like zero calorie brownies. Exactly. Extra frosting. <laughs> that make you healthier, even. Exactly. Yeah, really made of spinach. <laughs> Indulgent yes, and, and so good for you. Oh my <laughs> gosh, thank you for that. That's so beautiful. And early in our conversation, you you mentioned forgiveness 
And forgiveness is what came to my mind when you were talking about that longstanding cortisol damage that the stress and the wear and tear, you know, we've heard it said that, you know, holding on to anger or resentment really does more damage to us than to the person that we are upset with. And in episode 129, I did a whole episode on forgiveness. And I think it's just an important component of generosity and forgiving ourselves. Like when you talked about earlier, like, you know, I would never hold another person to the standard of accountability that I hold myself. But I think that for us to hear what you're saying and talk about this this, um, accessible connection to oxytocin, I mean, that is literally the, the purpose that ROG exists, is to give people the little blast of inspiration and something positive. And then to really think like, how could I do something similar? Or how does that just give me the boost of energy that I needed to take some kind of action? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So speaking of action and impact, you founded Impact 100, which is such an interesting concept. And I've heard you tell your story and people need to listen to your other podcast episodes to get the full background on all of this. But just Briefly, could you explain what Impact 100 is? And then I want to talk about collective giving. Yeah, absolutely fair. So Impact 100 um, is a, a concept that I came up with after moving to Cincinnati, Ohio, and being very surprised at the number of women who just didn't see a viable path for themselves into community involvement, philanthropy, community service. So listening to what they said, as well as understanding the needs of local nonprofits, I created what we now know as Impact 100. So the model works like this. Gather at least 100 women who each donate $1,000, pool all of that money together and offer it out to the local community in grants of $100,000 or more. From that point, we invite the local nonprofits across broad focus areas. So we are women funding community, not necessarily women funding women and girls. And so we invite the nonprofits to apply for 100% of the money we've raised. And then the membership vets all of those applications, narrows it down to a finalist, and all members, whether they're involved in the vetting process or not, get to vote. I call it democratizing philanthropy because it is one woman, one donation, and one vote. And if there's a woman who is wealthy enough to make a $5,000 donation, she is welcome to do so. But that $5,000 will either buy her five years of membership or buy her first year for herself and give $4,000 to help support women who otherwise couldn't afford to join. In other words, Everyone has an equal voice and vote. And what we learn, and here's your segue into collective giving, is that when we gather a diverse group of people, in Impact 100's case, it's mostly women, except in Australia, um, when we get a diverse group of women together who are engaged in their local community, assessing the solutions that nonprofits bring to the most pressing problems, Mm. we get better outcomes. We get better decisions. We get more robust conversations and it elevates 
all of us. And I think that's the superpower of what Impact 100 does specifically and what collective giving does generally is it really sort of pulls back the veil. The other Mm. piece that collective giving does in Impact 100 specifically is many of our members could only dream of making a gift of $100,000 or more to a single charity. I mean, that is not something that is in my, my ability to do either. And yet, when we donate our $1,000, we are connected enough to that gift and it makes us fully connected to the $100,000 plus and to the now more than $123 million we've given away around the globe. Because none of it would happen unless every single one of those women gave their $1,000, voted on the outcome. Like it is something that allows us to really make significant change right Mm -hmm. in our own backyards where we will know the problems best and be best able to assess the potential solutions. Oh my God, that's so magnificent. And I, I just love that you have galvanized and empowered over 30,000 women globally. You have over 65 local chapters. You're in four countries. I mean, this thing has just taken off over the last, what, 20 years. So I think it's just a remarkable thing that you have done. And, And tell us what led to that. Like, what was it that caused you? I mean, you said that you spoke to these women when you moved to Cincinnati and you recognized that they wanted more outlets for philanthropy or they didn't see like, how does this fit into my life? But like, was this a reoccurring thought for you, Wendy? Like, tell me, tell us like the inside of of you and like how this came to pass. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So I had lived so to back up, I was a banker. That was my full-time job. I was a private banker. I took care of high net worth clients. And in college, I was an economics major. So, you know, you sort of have to know where my head is, how I think, and and why I came to certain conclusions. So I had moved to Cincinnati after living on the East Coast. And on the East Coast, the cost of living is really high. There are also well-paying jobs, but it's not it, you know, it still can be economically challenging for people because of the cost of living. Moving to Cincinnati, it's this uniquely wonderful place. And there are several other communities like this around the nation, but Cincinnati has a lot of corporate headquarters. So there are well-paying jobs. And yet the cost of living is really low. So it's one of the few places that the math really looks it works in your favor. Now, for me, I've always grown up giving back. So I always have budgeted it in terms of my my financial budget, but also my time budget. And every job I've ever had where I worked for someone else, part of my interviewing was making sure that it was an organization that supported community service and volunteerism and everything that that includes. So I've been lucky that I never have to take a vacation day to go and serve the community. So in Cincinnati of all places, when I started to hear women say, yeah, I don't have, I don't have enough time. Uh, I, I don't have enough money. It wouldn't make a difference. I don't know enough mm-hmm. about the problems mm-hmm. to know how to solve them. And 
when I've donated in the past, it, I never knew where the money went. I never knew how it got spent. But as we sit and we we hear about the news and we're faced with all the problems in the world, it's easy to get sucked into this feeling that it's hopeless, that the problems are insurmountable, that we can't do anything about it. And although I think it's amazing, the very ultra high net worth people who are generously giving their money, there are some people who will look at that and say, well, they should do that because they have the money or... I believe the government should do it because that's their role as government. And we're not just letting ourselves off the hook about being part of the solution. We are denying ourselves the joy that comes from being a part of the solution. And sometimes the narrative gets Mm. missed that each of us have something to give. And each of us, whether it's time, talent, or treasure... We all can make the world a better place. I believe we're most fulfilled, we're most in our best selves when we're giving all three, time, talent, and treasure. But let's face it, there are times when you have no no money, all you can do is help, Mm -hmm. or you have no time and all you can do is write a check and everything in between. But um, that, that was really what started it, is I knew the women needed to know what it felt like to be a part of the solution, to unleash the power they had within them, but didn't realize perhaps. And also nonprofits really needed significant grants. Mm-hmm. And a $100,000 grant in many of our Impact 100 communities, we are, if not the biggest grant maker, one of the biggest grant makers so that we can really move the needle on these problems, not just get mm-hmm. incremental benefit. Oh, that's so well said. Thank you for that background and and the context. It helps our listeners understand really the impetus for that. And also really what your intention is, is to give people an opportunity to have that joy and feeling and that empowerment to know that they can in fact make a contribution. And so there will be a link to Impact 100 in the show notes for those who are interested because there's a lot of different ways that you can get involved. So if you, like like Wendy is saying, if you have more treasure than time that you can donate $1,000 and you know contribute to the fund, you could also participate on the board. You could be somebody who reviews applications. You could be a part of the financial review. You could attend the annual meeting, which I've done many times. And it's totally inspirational. And you hear about all of these ways in which the community is making an impact. And then you also get to see who the recipients are of that year's uh, chapters, donations. So it's just so, there's so many different ways that you can contribute. And it reminds me of the, the generosity quiz that I created. It's on my website. And when you take the quiz, it's free. It takes a couple of minutes and it just talks about like your generosity state right now. And I do think that it's like a situational moment to moment kind of thing. So uh, one of the outcomes is called the wholehearted observer. And that's the outcome where the individual sees the need. They're almost 
overwhelmed by how much need is out there and they don't really know what to do. Like they, they're like, I, I, I get it. I, I want to make a contribution. It's similar to the, the new friends that you made in Cincinnati. So I don't think that it's, it, there's nothing wrong with that. It's very normal and common to feel that way. So this gives you an opportunity to make an impact locally, to be a part of it, to be a member of this collective giving. So it just, I think it, it, it solves a lot of the issues that I think many experience with philanthropy. Yeah, I absolutely. And I love that notion because I think there are more of us out there kind of on the sidelines. And, you know, the image that I have is a little bit of a deer in the headlights, like, okay, which way? Because there's so much that needs to be done. Like there's so much that we could do and part of the part of the idea behind impact 100 is to make it accessible so that you can kind of find your way among a really great group of supportive women who are finding their way right with you you know some come in as seasoned philanthropists and others come in having never uh, written a check to a single charity for $1,000 prior to joining Impact and every color of the rainbow in between. And I think that's part of the magic. And how about the equity of those that you make the contribution to, those nonprofits that you support? I mean, what is the rigor in terms of equitable yeah. distribution? That is a great question. You know, when you give away grants of $100,000 or more, that is a donation from at least 100 women. We take our grant stewardship, our grant vetting process really seriously. And so there are some collective giving groups and, and I've been a part of them. This is in no way a negative. Um, it just shows how different they can be where you know, you'll know you get together in an evening, you'll hear a couple of speakers, you'll decide where your money goes, and then you'll all write the check to that charity. And there's no real upfront assessment and not a lot of afterthought in terms of making sure that they do what they say they're gonna do. And as I said, those are wonderful, they have their place. Impact 100 is different because we're giving a grant of at least $100,000. We have a lot of process. And we are asking questions that relate directly to how equitable is the organization. So if you're serving communities of color, what does your leadership team look like? And what does your staff look like? What does your board look like? Are you reflecting the communities that you're serving and that you're trying to help? We look at the reach. We look mm -hmm. at the lens we use when we're assessing these is, will it be transformational? And will it be sustainable? The sustainability piece is easier to identify because it has to do with, you know, what happens when you've finished spending our grant? Will this program continue? How will you fund yourself? What happens next? Because mm -hmm. we don't want to give too much money to an organization that they can't adequately handle and mm -hmm. sustain. The transformation part is harder, but we look at, if you're currently doing this, does this 100,000 plus investment get you to your next level? Does it open up to a new community? And how do you choose that community? What's happening now and how will the world be different after our grant? Mm -hmm. So with those two lenses, 
we have a lot of due diligence. We do a lot of financial review. We do site visits. And then so that for our members that choose to get involved, they get a deep dive education into the nonprofit mm. to apply, which creates loyalty and awareness and so many sort of side benefits. Yeah. And for the members that are too busy to be involved, when they get ready to cast their vote, they know the process that we've gone through and they can be very confident that any finalist that comes forward is well vetted and will do well with the funds when if they're awarded. Oh, thank you for that. That That's so inspirational to hear the due diligence and the thoughtfulness that you all put into making sure that the the group of people have an equitable opportunity to participate in Impact 100. And then those that you serve are also, you know, it just sounds like a very thoughtful, generous process, which isn't surprising at all. Um, so I want to do a quick recap for those listening, and I would love to get your, you know, additional thoughts on things that people can do based on what they heard today and apply to their own work and lives. So one of the things that you talked about is generosity to self and being generous in the heat of things. So having some of those strategies and building that muscle so that even when it's really difficult, you can still call on those generous um, attributes or ways of thinking about things. And then we will get then the, the benefit of oxytocin and feel that feel-good drug. And then you talked about how we could get involved. So like that that return on generosity of making a contribution, finding a way to either use your time, talent, treasure, or all three, ideally. Um, what else would you add to that, Wendy? You know, I think um, it telling your story, you know, sometimes in this country and, and others too, we have a lot of trouble talking about money. We have a lot of, like, it's very uncomfortable. But the thing is, is that statistically what we know is that people will grow up to be generous adults if they see it modeled at a young age. So when you talk about it, you might be telling a story that will influence a young person or an older person, but influence another to be like, huh, I could do that. So, and when we talk about it, it makes it attainable. Now, I believe this to be true, whether you are the very, very wealthy, you know, I think sometimes seeing a name of a building after a family in your community and you're like, oh my word, the Smiths, are really generous. I want to be like the Smiths are. Um, so whether it's super generosity or whether it's helping somebody, doing one of the things we do and, and our kids now all do is we have a Ziploc, like a gallon-sized bag. We have at least a dozen of them in our car at any given time. And in it, there's protein-based snacks. There's sanitary items, there's socks, and there's a handout of all the places you can go to get services in the community, other food, um, and things that won't won't go bad. And so when, you know, when you pull up to the stop sign and there's somebody there holding a sign or you go into a parking lot and it looks like there's an encampment somewhere near, we just give them these bags. Um, sometimes it includes a gift card to a place to eat. Sometimes it doesn't, but it is 
having something handy, like being ready to be generous Mm. can be physically ready, like having these bags, but it can also be having your mindset ready to be Mm. generous Um, and and doing what you feel is the next Mm. appropriate thing. I also believe that if you're troubled by one thing, like sometimes we're just overwhelmed and it's like this cacophony of noise of all the things we're worried about. But if you find yourself coming back to one particular problem, I feel like that's your hint to figure out how to do your part where you are to solve a piece of that. Mm. That's really how Impact 100 started because I was a banker. I was not a nonprofit guru. I was someone who was involved in my community to the extent I could be while working full-time and raising kids. And so, you know, I think it got to the point where it was too much in my head and I knew there was something I needed to do. And so for your listeners, if they're in their head about something, then Mm -hmm. seek out those organizations that are solving that thing and talk to them, find out how they identify the problems, how they think their solution is the best. Maybe you'll go volunteer with them. Maybe you'll join their board. Maybe you'll donate. Maybe you'll join an Impact 100. I don't know what your outcome will be, but like everything, it will be your personal journey. Mm -hmm. The key though is to not get stuck in the worry and to push yourself to that next thing. So to learn more, please check out wendyhsteel.com. The link will be in the show notes and check out her new book, Invitation to Impact, Lighting the Path to Community Transformation. Thank you so much for investing your precious time with us, Wendy. Oh my gosh, Shannon, thank you. Anytime I'll come back. This has been a complete joy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.